I eventually named it the flexible path. And that's what happens when you have an accountant naming marketing. Not very, it's not very, you know, amazing. It's just pretty straightforward. But I was talking to them about it. And, um, and we do, you know, we do uh, forecasting and planning out for 25 years. And, and what, what was happening is my team was saying, oh, golly, we, we're going to, you know, create, you know, build this fossil plant. And if we could build them bigger, that'd be more efficient. That's what you learn in this industry, build it. And because of the economies of scale matter. And, and I finally said, you know what, I'm going to tell you, here's, here's a constraint you have now when you model, we won't build one more thing. We won't build one more thing. We're going to assume the market can, can, can supply and that our job changes and we're better at partnering and we're better at brokering, you know, heads blew off. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis, joined as always by founder and president, Mr. Mike Niemer. And Mike, we have got a fantastic episode today. Very excited. We've had a lot of, um, you know, we, we, we've had some great guests. I mean, we're always excited about every single guest we've had so far, but... Um, Today's episode, what makes it so special is not just what this woman has done in the energy space, because everybody we've talked to has had their own journey uh, in their own professional way, but what this woman has endured just from a personal level to get where she's at, and that being one, uh, Miss Paula Gold-Williams from CPS Energy. Yeah, Fred, I couldn't say it any better. Uh, I've uh, been very interested in Paula's career. I've watched her. I met her back in 2016, so I've kind of watched her roll into the CEO position that she's at. And uh, it's, I'm excited to be able to talk to her and uh, hear what she has to say and tell us about her journey and what CPS Energy is doing over there in San Antonio. Listen, they're doing uh, tremendous things over in San Antonio with CPS Energy and what she's been able to do. I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. It's the largest municipally owned utility in America. And she is the only black female CEO in the energy space, which, you know, listen, we could, that's a whole other episode about the diversity, but listen, what this woman's been able to do and again, where she's come from. So we're very excited about this episode. I know you guys will be too. And like I said, there's a lot of things to take away, not just that from her personal, but again, what she's been able to do, what she's been able to forge ahead with from a renewable standpoint, because obviously that's what we do here at uh, the Green Insider Podcast powered by eRenewable. Speaking of Mr. Mike Niemer, uh, for those catching in on uh, episode number 13 of the podcast, don't forget, uh, you, you guys know we had Steve Shepard on, executive director of NEMA, a few weeks ago. And today, if, you, if like I said, it's Veterans Day, Mike. Don't forget, if you've got some time, uh, at 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central time, they're having a tax class. What's going on with 2020? How it's impacting uh, taxes? How it might impact your business in 20, 2020? and 2021 definitely catch that uh the price is what fifty dollars for non-members free for members correct that is correct and so you know i know a lot of people's workloads a little lighter today so if you're a member of nema go ahead and log in just to support them and if you're not and you're interested to see what some of their classes look like this might be a good day to give it a try and real quick, uh, Mike, just because I know you've been involved with NEMA before, uh, for those that are still kind of maybe on the fence a little bit, just just a couple things about the benefits of the NEMA organization and, and, and why being a part of it isn't such a bad thing. 
Well, pre-COVID, the name of conferences were the single best conferences networking-wise I've ever attended. Right. I've had more success in a name of conference with my network than any other conference. And I've been in the energy space for 40 years, so that's saying quite a bit. Okay. It certainly is. And besides for that, uh, their education. They're providing education of all useful stuff pertinent to today's market. And and usually uh, most people learn just like with our Green Insider, where we try to teach them more today than they knew before they got on. Absolutely. I believe name is the same, same similar motto type thing. No, it certainly is. And uh, like I said, if you guys haven't heard, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, like I said, obviously you're going to listen to uh, Miss Paula Gold-Williams. And, and, and like I said, a lot to learn there. But go check out episode number 11 with uh, NEMA Executive Director Steve Shepard. You'll be glad you did. Like I said, check out the website. Go to NEMA.com. Uh, That's NEMA, N-A-E-M-A.com uh, to learn more about it. And like I said, you can jump in on that class if you catch it in time because, uh, like I said, you'll certainly be glad you did. So without further ado, glad to have you on board. Episode Episode number 13, Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. Without further ado, from CPS Energy, the CEO, Miss Paula Gold Williams. Congratulations on being the 2020 Woman of the Year uh, over there in San Antonio. Congrats to that. Uh, and then, you. obviously, you know, I, I know that in 2018, you guys presented um, your flexible path in 2018. And just from the, the, the you know, what I read, uh, needless to say, some of the environmental companies or environmental folks were th- saying, well, CPS, th- there's more that can be done, and, and they weren't necessarily giving you the green light and or the thumbs up on it. want to ask you a little bit about, you know, did, how much did the flexible path change, and what, was, what kind of course did you take from when you got that response in 2018 to the flexible path that you've got now in 2020? A, a couple of things. I, you know, the, the design of the flexible path is also uh, – very similar to the concept that that I created here first, which is simple. Everybody's using it. But in 2015, we were talking about people first. But now you'll see people talk about people first. And and interestingly, a lot of people didn't get it. But um, I had a I had a top executive that worked with me. Had been in the industry for 40 years, and I was wondering why is this so complicated. And she goes, you know, Paula, it's truly. Uh, sophisticated simplicity, pretty straightforward. It, it, it's people first. And I used to have to tell people when they asked me for a definition, I said, well, it's the opposite of people last, right? So <laughs> it's a pretty easy concept. Um, the flexible path is also, you know, very straightforward. Yeah. It was designed to be flexible. It's not, you know, people used to call it the flexible plan yeah, because people want it to be a plan and they want it to be a declaration and they want it to be, um, an aspiration. And what it really is, it's a different way of thinking that actually opens us up to a, a actually embrace mm-hmm. change, embrace disruption, um, look for it. Don't sit here and think that you know all the solutions. But I, I will say, being a utility, we have not only the privilege to serve a community, we have the obligation, yeah. right? We have, we have to figure it out. And what's really happening in the industry is um, we have, in, in fact, embraced it. Our, our city created the Climate Action and Adaptation Plan, which basically has been aligned, aligned to the Paris Agreement, and our board uh, endorsed that. Uh-huh. And But what they told management to do is do that through the prism of the flexible path. And, and on, on top of that, there are primary pillars that we balance. So it's customer affordability, 
reliability, resilience, safety, security, and uh, environmental responsibility. And no one pillar can drive you to your success. And even though we know increasingly the environment is, is more and more important every day, if you do it wrong and cause bill shock, you put a bad taste in people's mouth. If you do it wrong and you don't balance your solutions around the technologies, all of the benefits of those technologies and guard against some of the challenges with them, then you can cause reliability issues. And so, so for us, we take all the criticism and we, we hear that you know people want us to make a decision. We closed two coal units in 2018 and they're saying close the other two. Well, we will close them, but we've got to do it in terms of partnering right. with people, being open to the technology and finding the right way to take these units and transition them and blend them out so we can blend in you know, new solutions that work. But again, I, I understand the passion that, that uh, people have, and um, we, we accept that. We accept that we have an accountability to try to figure it out. And we'll sit down, though, and talk to everyone and tell them about the challenges that we have and making that balance. But we also want people to remember the good things that we're doing. I mean, we we were into wind 20 years ago when nobody really thought a utility, particularly municipal, should be in it. We've been in solar and we did one of the biggest RFPs in the United States. We did a global RFP in 2012. We have an award-winning energy efficiency and conservation program, and we're about to launch this very uh, meaningful uh, exploration and trying to bring in a large amount of solar into mm-hmm. the state of Texas, but we're also putting it together with a bundle that has the right values to balance and support that that solar investment up to 900 megawatts. And that's just the beginning. And that's an addition so, to the 600 you've already done, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it's, big. It's, yeah. So, so what we what we say is, work with us, yeah. right? We, we, have, we have nothing but good intention and appreciation. We believe in climate change. We believe though, we actually believe that everybody should be on this path yeah. and that no company or industry should be left behind. And that the more and more people should embrace solar, but, but you know, every industry, even the food industry, agriculture has to think about its transition and its processes. Transportation has to think about those processes. And so we, we because we serve everyone, we again believe that each, each industry, each company has to make meaningful steps, not just, not just saying things. Like, like I, if I could sit here, sit here all day long and tell you all, I believe in solar, but if I don't actually put an RFP on the street, then what difference does I'm it make? Talking, right? <laughs> that's right. So, <laughs> and you all know what that is. You're like, a deal is yeah. a deal, right? I mean, that's how things get done. So that's, you know, again, we'll, we, we, we understand that the journey, the flexible path forward is, is in some cases it's tough or in many cases it's tough and it's not linear. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the thing that we're always talking to people about. You know, and, and I guess my thing was it, that kind of took me back when I, when I, you know, reading the article and, and just doing some of the, uh, you guys had already talked in that uh, 2018 meeting that, you know, you were going to get rid of coal, you know, that, I mean, that was already on the board. All right. Now maybe, 
And so it's not like you guys were kind of just, you know, making this a slow play and, like you said, giving them lip service. I mean, you guys had already made strides into the renewable sector. Um, oh, yeah. Were you surprised that for a, you know, and, and again, let's, let's call it what it is. Y'all are the largest, you know, municipally owned utility in America, all right? And you're talking about one of the largest, fastest growing areas in America in the San Antonio metropolitan area. So were you surprised at some of the rebuke and some of the criticism you guys got when you uh, rolled out this plan in 2018? Not surprised, um, disappointed. I mean, okay. And, and quite honestly, not surprised. I mean, look. So, so again, I understand the passion, right? I understand right. Um, people believe in 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 this at all costs. And these are people who, again, don't run a utility. They don't have to worry about um, what bills look like and right. what the transition looks like. I was talking to a, a student. You know, every once in a while. Um, uh, students, we ha- we have student internship programs, but we also get referrals. So we had this student that was referred to us uh, by a friend of mine at, a, at another company. And what we do is we connect that student with a lot of people and and around the company. And if I can, I'll talk to him as well. He's actually going to school in Chicago, and um, he was talking about his bill. He's a student. He just got. He just started working. <laughs> no, I mean he's he's on his own, right? right. And he's going to have his own apartment. But one of the most important things is his bill. So we have to always remember that customer affordability matters. Absolutely. It does. Even when they're trying to do the right thing for the environment. So, but if, but if your job is, if you're in a, in your job is in a, to be an environmental stakeholder, Mm -hmm. right? They're people, that's their profession. Right. Then that's what they're going to focus on. So from a, from a motivation standpoint, a psychology standpoint, the goodness standpoint, we understand the passion and we respect it. Um, it's disappointing though, because we believe that if we all partner together to figure out how to prioritize each step together, we could get even faster momentum. But what happens is we get slowed down, right? right. Because um, every step we take is scrutinized because instead of we, we think that we should do step one, three, and seven, and they think we should do step one and nine. Right. Yep. So we're always, you know, arguing about velocity and momentum. But I think I think, you know, those are the negative things versus doing the positive things. And there's just many, many positive things out there. So it's disappointing to be in a fight when, in fact, you know, we totally get our our, our responsibility and that we want to do it together and we want to do it with San Antonio um, leading the way, Texas leading the way. So, so, you know, what can we do? We just, we just keep at it. We keep talking. In reality, we developed that strategy in 2017. And I was telling my, my team, uh, you know, as I, as I was, you know, didn't, I hadn't called it yet. I eventually named it the flexible path. And that's what happens when you have an accountant naming marketing. <laughs> not very, it's not very, you know, amazing. It's just pretty straightforward. But I was talking to them about it and um, and we do, you know, we do uh, forecasting and planning out for 25 years. And and what what was happening is my team was saying, oh, golly, we, we're going to, you know, create, you know, build this fossil plant. And if we could build them bigger, that'd be more efficient. That's what you learned in this industry. Yeah. Build it bigger. And because of the economies of scale mattered. And and I finally said, you know what, I'm going to tell you, here's here's a constraint you have now when you model we won't build one more thing. We won't build one more thing. We're going to assume the market can, can, can supply and that our job changes and we're better at partnering and we're better at brokering, you know, heads blew off. (laughs) 
schedule off. But the point was to let go and to stop being stuck and to stop trying to, to just use one magic recipe or one magic, you know, approach. And again, um, look at the goodness that happens all over the globe and all, and oftentimes in your own backyard. So we're disappointed that instead of leading with um, incentive and approach and, and, and working together, we end up in this very tough situation. That said, we're, we are municipally owned. We're the largest electric and gas utility in the nation. We serve in the seventh largest city in the United States and we're municipally owned. And so I think, and we own our generation and we kind of know what we're doing. And so I typically find that people do want to converge on San Antonio and we have some big decisions to make. So I think we are, we are under the the spotlight and um, we're trying to again, tell, tell the great story and make things happen and, and still, you know, deal with every single person, whether they believe exactly what we believe or whether or not we've got to work on something together with them. Uh, Environment Texas named you guys the f- uh, named you guys a shining city, uh, said that you guys are the fifth in the nation right now uh, as far as number of megawatts of solar power installed per capita. Um, when you hear, you know, when you when you get accolades like that, um, when you see that, you know, again, you guys have, uh, you know, generated, or excuse me, 600 megawatts of solar, over 1,000 megawatts of, of, of wind wind um you know and again you guys just put out the rfp as well are you where you guys want to be and are you pleased with the progress you guys have made uh as far as you know uh, generating or you know bringing renewable energy uh as part of y'all's uh process i think in reality we feel like um there's so much to do i mean i don't i don't think we sit here and say uh that we, we think we've done enough. Obviously we haven't done enough because it, it is such a huge undertaking to embrace decarbonization. And, and, um, and, and I, will, I will point blank tell you that, you know, for us, it's net zero emissions, again, not just zero emissions. I think we, we think you can get to zero emissions, but you need to get to net first, again, to convert every industry, um, to bring everyone along. And so, no, we don't, we don't sit here. We're, we're proud of what we've done, but we, we definitely feel like we are just, you know, that every day is another day that we've got to start making meaningful transition. We feel like we're in the evolution. We feel like the evolution has started. We feel like, again, you know, where solar started, right? We, we did this, we did this ad in the Wall Street Journal in about the 2011, 2012 timeframe. And it said, um, modest utility is seeking a sizzling, sexy solar provider. I mean, we tried to, we tried to make it like a singles ad. You know? <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> did they, now, did they put you in charge of that too? <laughs> I was I wasn't I wasn't in the operations side. I was I was on the financial side, but I thought it was amazing, and it I mean it was so different in yeah. the marketing uh, back then, and what you know where it, it's not in day right Con- compared to what you have and the amount of people who are putting time and resources and real you know real solar farms and solutions and distributed you know solar. It's still I mean it's just an amazing thing. We have lived through that evolution. And we, st- we believe that was kind of the, the real impetus, but we believe in an ongoing evolution to, again, make these transitions and keep everything 
imbalance and still incenting other technologies to also come because we think it's about diversification. You know, the one thing I'll tell you is years and years ago, we were solely a gas company. And um, like, you know, like 40 years ago, we were solely a gas company. And it's a, it's a story in the paper, but uh, in headlines, we end up um, suing our gas supplier because they broke our agreements and then started passing through a lot of um, current pricing versus what we had negotiated. Huge lawsuit. And, and it ultimately settled, but that, it, that doesn't matter as much as what we learned. What we learned is you need to keep thinking about the future. You need to keep diversified. You need to leverage technology to technology, and you need to keep being part of that transition to, to bring that in to your portfolio on a regular basis. Now, maybe when we first learned it, we would say bring only tried and true that have, you know, that have performed all over the place. And now we say we've got to put a respectable amount of investment in new technologies. And ultimately, the vision I have here is that San Antonio becomes a demonstration capital of the globe, that people want to bring new technologies and then play with them together. We think technology should complement one another and, and make them work. I mean, a solar panel with storage, I mean, a solar system with storage is amazingly powerful, right? Um, and, and the resilience of it and the, and the way that you can make it work. And we just think there's just more and more of that. And it makes it extremely exciting for us because we learned a hard lesson decades ago and it over, now everything we do, our people are diversified, our, the way we finance projects is diversified when we just believe that you've got to keep your eyes and ears open. And again, partnership is, is really important to us uh, for those same reasons. This is episode number 13 for us. So through the, through the first 12 episodes, and we've talked to everybody from, you know, the storage side of things, the, the energy buying side of things, microgrids, what have you. Um, and so you're the first, uh, first person we spoke to that has a finance background. Let me ask you this, because the one thing we always, and, and the one kind of constant that we've heard, no matter what the, 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 the topic is when it comes to renewable energy, is cost. Right. Is that if it doesn't, you know, and you know this, if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Right. Because at the end of the day, it, it's, it's got to make sense for folks. Given your finance background, how has that helped you in making these decisions and coming, like you said, coming from maybe a different perspective when you're looking at some of these long term uh, programs, when you're looking at some of these long term projects and when you guys are trying to diversify and implement, uh, n- you know, new sources of power? Well, I'll give you I'll give you the standard answer, but I'll tell you it's not the whole story for us. I mean, the standard answer is the way that we make value for our customers is always paying attention to costs, not just of of a PPA or a particular source, but everything. I mean, we we optimize everything. Now, in reality, the way a utility functions is is economics, right? It's economies of scale. If you can spread more of your dollars over, over everything, right? You, you, what you're trying to do is always pull down that overall cost per unit and look for technology improvements and look for great contracting and other efficiencies. So it's critical. However, um, we still believe that innovation has to be fed. And we also believe that when we blend our overall low cost of operation with, you know, with a mix of 
you know, fairly inexpensive generation, moderate generation, but maybe more expensive, but but there's this extra element of diversification or something like that. We Our cost structure is big enough that we can blend in different types of technology. Because again, we still believe that you've got to feed innovation. You've got to keep investing in it. And the example I always give, you know, our customers are, I was here and like everybody else, we were here when people wanted the, to move from CFLs to LED lights, right? That that transition. I don't know if you remember this. Everybody assumes now yeah. that everybody liked them. No, everybody hated LED lights mm-hmm. when they yeah. first started. They were they were they were very expensive, and their efficiency didn't look great. And people weren't used to the illumination and all of that. What's happened over time? Because we gave away a million lights in San Antonio. We gave them away. We put them in our our energy efficiency and conservation program. And we had to give them a way to get the people to change their preference, what they were used to. And the, from the prices we paid at first to the prices we paid over, I guess, like a five-year period, the price came down and the efficiency came up. And so now people don't think twice. Nobody walks into a store and says, can I have that old CFL? Because I think it's great and I want to pay a higher energy bill, right? So you have to feed innovation yeah. you have to buy into it and you have to you have to leverage it in so so pricing's important but it's not the whole story because again we feel it, it evolves just like everything else and we'll get there we'll get we're we're at some prices people never thought we were going to see in solar for example now look i'm an accountant i'm going to tell you this too though i think i think it's about value and I want to make sure that the solar industry is sustained. Mm-hmm. And I think, I you know, people get so transactional that they, you know, they want it to cost zero. Well, I don't know what in, what infrastructure you invest in, and it could be zero. It can't be zero. There's value there. The sun is free, but solar energy costs something to, to make, yeah. right? So I, I believe there should be a value proposition. And, and again, if, if we keep feeding the solar industry, then it'll continue to make the innovations that it needs to. I mean, maybe it's not maybe not a lot, but maybe there's, there's more on the efficiency side that they can get with good, good pricing. And it's some of the best pricing, you know, that you can find anywhere. But again, I still believe that you've got to, that if, if you don't do that, you run an, you run in a, a technology to the ground, right? You don't, it doesn't keep growing. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a realist mm-hmm. and an accountant at the same time. <laughs> well, every, listen, every accountant you know, I've ever met has always been a realist. So I, it, what, what are y'all, left brain thinkers? Isn't that what it is? You guys are less emotional. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, it's yeah, more yeah, of a black and white numbers, you know, yeah. what, one plus one equals two. And there is no <laughs> getting around that. <laughs> That's it. Hey, Paula, earlier in your uh, conversation, you talked about the Paris Accord that you were unli- aligned with. When President Trump pulled us out of that, was there any conversation for you guys to change your plan? No. Okay. Look again. I mean, um, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm the least political person in the world. I don't, I, I don't lead at all ever with politics. And um, you know, maybe it, I'm repeating myself, but you know, what, what we say here is that electrons, electrons, and molecules love everyone. <laughs> they don't pay attention to uh, how you vote or who you love or where you live or what your educational status is or any of that, right? So, so 
that element of it, I can't tell you that I understand all the stuff that's going on there. But what I do know is customer preferences are changing and they need to. And, and you'll fo- if you follow your customer and you follow and, and, and you're part of the industry trend, then, then you're going to be in that space anyway. And, and what, what we've done here at CPS Energy, when I first became CEO in 2015, I had an organization study failure to evolve. Um, if you don't evolve, what, is, what does that look like? And it, typically it looks like failure. And so a business that's really thinking about this, this, this bigger thing, the thing that's bigger than, than their, their organization um, just needs to accept and embrace change and disruption. And even if somebody doesn't like it, that it's called the Paris Accord or that, it, that there are other bigger issues beyond my comprehension relative to international relations and things like that, I do believe that the energy industry is global and that the sharing of information across continents matters and that people are making the right decisions and changes. And regardless of what you call it, I think we're, we're globally on a pathway to decarbonize. So um, I'll let politics happen over there and then I'm gonna keep you know, trying to, to be part of this evolution and, and our 3,100 3, great employees embrace it more because they understand that's what we need to do to keep serving. Um, Great answer. Great answer. Thank you. You you mentioned a little bit ago just as far as what you guys have done from the solar side. And again, you guys have have, have uh, brought in what a thousand megawatts, uh, if I'm not mistaken, around there uh, of wind. What what where do you guys stand on wind uh, as far as your long term plans? Um, you know, I think I think what we have felt like is uh, wind is important. We have both West Texas wind and then we have coastal wind. Okay. Um, and so, and and it's and it's been great, right? To have a to have a even a diversification within the technology, and the thousand watt megawatts has served us well, and um, we've even done a, a recent repower. Um, we we uh, worked with the the uh, actual operator of the solar farm, and we worked together to to extend the life of those farms. So we believe that there's there's more value in wind but we feel like we've been under leveraged in solar. And so okay. we're, not, we're not against when we just need to get, I think we need to get you know more heavily invested in solar. Once we do that, we'll look back at wind and we'll look at new technologies at the same time. Gotcha. Um, you became CEO in 2015. You started out at a uh, CPS in 20, 2004 as a, uh, what uh, controller and, and assistant controller. treasurer. Yeah. had never been in the industry before all right nope. and, and and broke down barriers i mean let's let's face it not a lot of black females in 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 the uh, oil and gas world okay so we're not you know uh when you took this job in 2004 all right and i'll take it back even a step further all right when 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 your mom was showing you how to count money <laughs> did you ever in your wildest dreams think you were going to be the ceo of the largest municipally owned utility in america never ever um, I, you know, look, I mean, you know, some people look at me now and they, they point and they think, um, they think I'm somebody else cause I'm CEO and, you know, really and truly I was born here in San Antonio, um, on the East side of town. Uh, my, com- my parents were very humble people. They did not have the benefits of extensive education. Um, my mother was painful for her, but, but I'm actually proud of her because, 
Uh, she had a, a third grade education, married early in life, and, and life just really wasn't going to give her the benefits. And uh, she went and got her GED, and she was she was the most amazing, talk about numbers, right? The most amazing cashier, uh, and she did. She taught me about, about numbers in her own way. And, and again, my father went uh, to high school. He graduated from high school, but he went in the military to help you know, take care of his family. And his brothers and sisters uh, were able to go to college. He was not. So, so I, my parents were sacrificers and my parents were um, humble and they had ex, you know, experienced a lot of racism in their life. So much so that even, even uh, you know, in later years in my mom's life, after my dad passed away, if I took her to a restaurant in San Antonio, she would worry if she saw no more black people. And um, and so racism had a huge imprint in her life and the reality of how she thought. When they raised me, I was the only one of, of four kids that went, you know, you know, went to college. And even at that, they were kind of like, well, Paula, try try your best, but just be a good person. Try your best. <laughs> right. Don't go to jail because <laughs> they, they they would tell me we can't help you if you go to jail. Okay. <laughs> and, That's good advice, and, though. What's that? That's good advice. It was great advice. I mean, I stayed out of trouble, and and all they told me to do is just be a good person. And they they would tell me to treat people right because there were a lot of instances where they weren't treated right. And so, really and truly, I you know I, I've been in different professions. I'm an accountant. I'm a CPA. I was in the theater operations business, the cable business, the food service business. And my, my, you know, career was cobbled together by just taking on a lot of things that other people didn't want and learning how to value folks and, and, and building trust. And I eventually got here as a controller, I took a pay cut and I took a demotion to come into this industry, but there was something about it. There was something about what it does, right? What it does is it is it is the catalyst for people to, to live their lives, right? And unconsciously, mm-hmm. they, you know, they hit the switch and they don't have to think about it. And then when I came here and learned about the, the purpose of the industry and um, the significance of what it, what it does in the background when nobody's really paying attention, it really spoke to me. And But I will tell you, I, I made it because I figured out how the business worked. I figured out how the industry worked. I bumped my head a lot, but I had great leaders. Um, Milton Lee was the general manager when I came in. Um, I also worked for Doyle Benneby and he was tough on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he taught me a lot about, you know, the what excellence looks like. And, and so again, I, I took all the things that I messed up on and I made it, I made it my mission to, to do better. And I and I took and embraced the fact that in fact, in this industry, anybody can be successful, right? Mm-hmm. You got to have a heart for it. And so I'm, I'm, I am the least um, likely candidate to be doing what I'm doing. And, um, and the only person who ever thought I could do it was my husband. I, I didn't even believe I could do it. So anyway, but it all worked out well and, and it's working. I mean, it's tough, right? I mean, nobody would want to be, um, for, for as much heart and passion as we put into it for the, for the level of the tough stuff, it's hard, but it's still meaningful. And I still feel like this industry is going to make the, the, is making that transition. We're getting a lot of really great folks and ideas. And, and as Mike, you know, indicated, he jumped from one part of the industry yeah. to another. 
I think that's, that's right. amazing, right? And that makes me excited about what I what I get a chance to do, the privilege I get to do every day to serve. Well, that's a terrific story. And you know, um, as we discussed, you know, we have the mission here is ed to educate the listeners. San Antonio is one of the few places in the state of Texas that's regulated. And so as are most of the states deregulated, you're regulated. Can you explain to the listeners how when you have a West Texas wind farm, how are you getting that power into San Antonio? Yeah, well, let me make a couple of comments. You know, we're, we're regulated and we're locally regulated by the city of San Antonio that chose not to opt in. What they did is they bought us for $34 million back in 1942. And in turn, we are an investment. We're one, one, the biggest investment of the city of San Antonio. And we have contributed back to their general fund about $8 billion. So they've that's had a great return. That's good ROI, right? <laughs> that's <Yeah>. good ROI. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even an accountant. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so... So you're self-regulated. Right. What we do ultimately, though, is we compare ourselves to all of the competitive markets and, and, and the major cities and the major cities. So we watch and look at pricing and we believe that the competitive markets are great. And our obligation is to make sure that we're giving the, the same benefits of value and products and services as you can find in the competitive market. You won't find promotional rates here. Our, our, our everyday rate our, our is, is kind of, again, uh, economies of scale. But we also recognize that we're a generator. We, we supply 7% of the overall power, but we actually make up about 12 to 13% of the reserve margin of the excess capacity needed to keep the entire grid going. And the grid is completely connected. So you can put, you can, you can get resource anywhere as long as, as it could connect to the, to the grid. And, you know, 20 years ago, when wind started coming, you know, online, that was that was important. But then about 10 years ago, when all the transmission lines got built out to the benefit of wind, we can pretty much have a wind farm anywhere in Texas. We can have anything anywhere in Texas. We um, for us to manage it, we want it to be in our service territory, but we also know that we don't have to manage it. And so that's why we really do believe in, you know, if a company is doing wind or solar and they're really good at it, and that not only are they developers, but they have a way to operate that system, what we would prefer to happen is partner with them, let them operate the system. Now, we might say we want you to teach us, right? And so we've sent some of our employees to different wind farms and solar farms so they can study it. Because again, we think that's where the industry is going as well, and we want to grow and, and have our people learn it. But but our bigger, you know, objective is again just to leverage every relationship that we can. So so wind again, our solar can be anywhere, um, and and we try to work with it. But we'll we'll try to spread it out. We want some in our service territory, and the rest of it can be anywhere. So you already mentioned your flexible path, uh, and, and again, the RFP is looking to add up to 900 megawatts of solar, 50 megawatts of battery storage, and, and 500 megawatts of new technology solutions. You guys have already sent off, uh, you sent out the RFI, correct, already? We did. We didn't got it back already. Okay, so where, 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 are, we at with the, uh, where are we at with the flexible path? You know, um, so what we're doing, like uh, I think I talked to you, uh, you know, uh, earlier. We have a few folks that are helping us kind of look at it. We have uh, Black and Beach, 
um, that's partnered with a company called Han that's the, helping us think about how do we engage the community so they can they can actually be on this journey with us to look at the look at this uh, flex power bundle. But we have organizations, uh, you know, we have uh, one of the, the major professors from uh, UT Austin, Dr. Michael Weber. We have Ernie Muniz, and um, he has his own global consulting firm, and Melanie Kinderdine. We have EPRI. We have a lot of organizations that are helping us kind of look at this, this reality about what's out there. Now, what we got, I think we got a, a really good cross-section of proposals on the solar side. I mean, I think that recipe works all day long mm-hmm. in many, many realms, and we were extremely excited that um, a lot of the bid, m- most of the, the the offerings came, from, you know, from Texas, but we put it out in ten languages, and we put out, an, you know, a, a global uh, RFI, and we were also encouraged that we got companies that are from the t- in the ten different languages that we we got from up ten percent of those responses. So the solar was great, the energy storage was was very good, the firming capacity was great. That what we're struggling with a bit, though, is we are replacing, we're taking this flex power bundle and we're replacing base load generation. So what we want is we really want a great technology to, to hug and bundle around the solar component. The energy storage is great because it's fast response and you can get a duration, you know, up to four hours. But we, we basically, because... What we run it, we run a um, a technology hard as a utility. Meaning, even when we're doing energy storage, we're deep cycling that that system. We're going to fully fully utilize the power and then bring it back up again. It's not you're not doing a little bit. You're you're taking it all because because you're doing a city, not a business or a location. Right. So we thought we would see. Um, from the RFI, we thought we'd see a lot more in hydrogen and we thought we'd see longer durations. And, and what we don't know is uh, whether or not we need to do some, and what, what we're doing right now is should we enhance more of what we, we want? We need that reliability and that long-term duration component. And so we're re- re-looking at how do we put that out there. But we're also looking at maybe we should be decoupling some of the piloting uh, or, or earlier generation solutions and try to make them a part of, but not the main part. But we don't know. So we, we, we're, we're going to go out bigger again. We're going to go out in 10 languages. We're going to provide more um, context. And this is this is a question kind of tied to what you asked before. Mm-hmm. So some people will say, again, solar is very, very affordable. And and so some people will say, well, all they want is cheap price and and they they don't want to invest in in other technologies. And we've got to make sure that people understand we're decoupling the technologies from themselves. All we want to do is bundle the benefits. So they don't all have to be equal. They just have to be of value and complementary when we pull them together. And so, so we we did get one company that bid on the whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, which we thought that was great. And we got one company that says, "I'll give you all your 900 megawatts," um, and that was great too. Yeah. We need all the components. 
though. We need all the components. So we we got we. I feel really good on the on the solar side. I feel good on the on the energy storage side. And there's some flexibility to go above 50 there. But I think we're going to have to spend some more time developing the characteristics and our appetite on the farming capacity side. What's the uh, timetable? In, in, in and I get it. This thing's flexible, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> when do you hope to have something kind of hammered down uh, as far as, you know, when you look over everything and, it, when, okay, we, we know who we're going with, when you can start to put this thing in play? Well, I'm all over my team every day. I'm like, where are we? Where are Sooner we? the better. Feel, I, yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're feeling the pressure for me. But they're feeling pretty good, right? Uh-huh. So. So what they tell me is they think we can get it out in December, but we won't ask for it back as quickly as we ask for the RFI. We understand this is a lot more serious yeah. and, and we're getting to, you know, to the point where we're going to be basing some decisions on the responses. So it'll probably launch um, in December and then we'll be looking for it sometime in early 2021 and the response is back. Let me ask you that, and this is this kind of goes back to, again to, to um, just your background and, and what, you know, what you've been through personally. Is your mom still alive? No, I don't have either my mother or my father. Was your mom still alive when you got named CEO? Nope. Oh, so your mom never got to see you as the uh, first black female CEO uh, of a utility in America? No, not not physically, right? My parents are with me every day. Right. I mean, because I, right. I guess my thing is this. When you, when you talked about just what she went through and just the, 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 the racism that they had to endure and to think that, they carried that throughout their entire lives to the point where even when you, you know, and in, in, at the end, she was wondering about restaurants going to. What does that mean for you, knowing what your folks went through and to be in the position you're in and just kind of, I mean, essentially, I mean, here we are still in 2020 and, you know, I mean, you're, you're a pioneer. Well, my parents never, uh, again, my, my parents always believed that it didn't matter. I mean, they were never impressed with uh, a station in life or right. a elevation in life. And, and, you know, based on their experiences, they weren't treated well necessarily by people who were important, so to speak. So, but, you know, some of, some of that's classism, some of that's racism. And so, you know, even when I was an accountant, my mom was hilarious because she wanted me to be a teacher. And so probably for my entire career, she kept asking me, what do I do? And she, she would say, like, they pay you for that? <laughs> <laughs> so, so my parents had a, an awesome way of keeping me absolutely humble. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> humble. So I, I, I think even if they had seen it, they would have um, still expected me to be, you know, to be their their daughter, and they would challenge me again to make sure that I was doing the right thing for for everyone. Yeah, um, they, they wouldn't be super impressed. Let me ask you this though: How bad did it? How, how much did it hurt when you saw Luby's was closing? Oh. <laughs> You spent six uh, years at Luby's, and, and listen, there's not a person uh, alive in the state of Texas that hasn't enjoyed a Luby's at some point in their life. You oh spent six years working there, in addition to who knows how many trips you went there. Uh, the news comes out last month, two months ago, whatever it was, that they're closing, you know, 49 locations or whatever it is. That probably had to, you know, hit you in the solar plexus a little bit. 
You know, look, um, it did. I mean, because there's something about that home cooking, right? Absolutely. That's just, has been part of the Texas tradition. Mr. Luby's story, right? He actually started in uh, the Midwest and brought the concept to San Antonio. And it had such a glory uh, perspective of it. It was a, a publicly traded restaurant company. And when I, when I joined it years ago, we were peaking over 200 stores. Um, but but here's an here's an example, and I mean, I still believe that that some some franchises may you know independently continue to operate, and I think that's awesome. And I think there's a there's a place for just about everything again a diversification. But what happened to the industry when I came in was the first year that we saw a decline in same store sales. And same-store sales is a typical ratio that restaurants go after. You always want them to improve. You don't want them to decline. And Luby's have had this, this wonderful thing where they never had declines in same-store sales. And um, that happened. And then food changed, right? Um, farm to market, uh, small box, um, different concepts, more, more variety. Yeah. Healthy. And, healthy right well you know not to say not to say Luby's isn't healthy I've convinced myself God bless some fried okra I'm a Luan fan myself so we're healthy but but I mean it's nutritious right so exactly so it's and and it again there's this there's a comfort feeling about it but but there was an element of watching that business model be challenged by the change in the food industry that didn't really speak to what was at the heart of it. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, they've done some diversification uh, over the years. They've delved in uh, Fuddruckers and and different concepts. Uh, Chris and Harris Pappas, who were, who were, they became, they were investors that became management in the company are just wonderful restaurateurs, very, very, amazing to watch but it was still hard to take that concept and 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 get it to transition almost impossible um so again I, it it became it's both a, a passion and a and a and a and a um a lesson right about again you've got to pay attention to the changes that are happening around you and when the momentum of those changes as we all know when the momentum around you is faster than what you're able to handle internally then you you become at risk. And so I still wish the best for the management team and the leadership team there, but it but it has been with me. And I tell my own people, if we don't again pay attention to the momentum around us, then we too can be a company that goes by the wayside. And I and that's again why we embrace change. That's why we do believe in and all the concepts of climate and we do believe in our value pillars and we do believe that that we want to be part of this evolution and not a victim of it because we're being stubborn. That, that's ridiculous. Right. So um, yeah, it's sad, but, but you can learn something from every challenge you, you, you experience or see. Uh, you mentioned about me talking about, I, I took the jump after 40 years in oil and gas, took the jump into renewables. Yeah. I have always lived my life never to be afraid of change. Cause if you're afraid of change, you're going to be left behind. And I think the renewable sustainable markets are here to stay. They're going to continue to grow. I think they're necessary. They have to grow. And any of us that can see it, we have to educate everybody to get everybody on board. 
Doesn't have to be a race to get on board. They just got to get on board, right? And so uh, thank God for what you're doing over there in San Antonio. You're doing great work over there. Well, well, thank you. Look, we, we embrace it again. Um, we know we can't be everything to everybody, but we can, we can have our eyes open and our, um, our ability to, to again, merge what we learn from others to create more value for customers in San Antonio and Texas. And that's, that, that's just the way it has to be. But, but you're fortunate, Mike, because there are a lot of people who resist change, right? And, um, yeah. there are organizations that resist change. And, and we just think that, uh, a, a great philosopher I know would say that, um, change is inevitable and resistance to change is futile. And that's kind of the way I run the company. Get you out of here with this, Ms. Gold Williams. Um, five years as CEO, 16 years there uh, at uh, CPS. Recently named 2020 uh, Woman of the Year by the Houston Business Journal as part of their annual uh, Women, you know, Women Leadership Awards. You're a part of 21 boards, uh, and I, how you find the time to do it all is, is, is amazing to me. Um, you've got you know, the largest utility. You, you, you're, you're spurring tremendous change over there. How do you keep going day to day and what's next? What's what's kind of on the horizon for you? Do you do you, you know, keep keep up with the challenges over at CPS or what what's what's on the horizon for Paula Gold Williams? Um look, I I am I am absolutely excited about this industry and what what we're doing here. And what really motivates me is you know, the 3,100 people who, many of whom have been with us for decades. And um, they're, they're just so amazing. I, you know, like people will tell me stories about how their, their power was out. And then our, our IBW employees on our skilled craft side or our NAEP employees on our gas solution side, they come in in the middle of the night with, with, with I, what I, feel our big S's on their chest and they restore power and balance in life and they do it. And then, and then they're gone. You don't even know that they were there. And so uh, they motivate me to serve them and to think it, think about it all the time about serving others, serving a community that needs reliable, affordable, resilient, safe, secure, and environmentally responsible power and so I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing. It, the, you know, the, the fights don't, don't inspire me, but, but I still believe again, that the, the push pull, the tough conversations can still make us better. And, um, and again, knowing that we are doing a lot of good and that we are in fact attracting people who want to make change and, and people who are great partners and people who have lots to offer. I'm just, I'm just inspired by that. So, so I feel very, very fortunate. I, I never thought I got to do what I'm doing and I'm doing it and it's, and it's great. I will tell you for sure. I have no political aspirations like none, <laughs> never going to happen. So we'll be, we won't see mayor gold Williams anytime soon. <laughs> No, 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 nothing. I'm thinking governor, maybe. I don't know. No, 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 no. no. My job is to serve and my job is to inform, form others and make connections and, uh, and, and make sure that we're part of that change. And so for as long as they, they'll have me, I'm good. And um, I'm willing to, to be part of this industry. That's, that's absolutely amazing. 
Is there anything you want to do that you haven't done yet? Maybe outside of, you know, maybe outside of a work uh, capacity. I, I will tell you a little story. So um, I'm from here. I'm uh, born here again. And uh, my, my teacher that taught me accounting, uh, Mr. Ramirez, taught me accounting. Also, I don't know, he just, he just sparked something in me that made me, you know, who I am today, even early in my life. And I've had a great love for San Antonio. And I think, I think, for example, that the Spanish language is one of the most beautiful languages in the world. And I've always wanted to, to do that. I always wanted to be fluent. I'm, I'm decent, but I'm not fluent. And so I did my first all Spanish commercial (laughs) this year. And it was funny because a lot of my friends thought I was, uh, I, I, it was dubbed and it wasn't me. <laughs> Those are real nice so wait a minute. friends. Did you, wait yeah. a minute. Did you do a, did you pull a Millie Vanilli? Is that what you're saying right now? <laughs> they, they basically thought that's what I had done. And then eventually they, I had, a, I had several of them like send me emails and they go, that is you. Right. So if, if I could do anything, you know, in my lifetime is, is to, you know, pay homage to that beautiful language and be, you know, much more fluent. If you practice the heck out of me, I can kind of, I can kind of hold my own, but, 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 um, but I need lots of help, but okay. that's stuff like that. Right. I want to, I want to continue my lifelong learning and I want to, you know, be able to, to grow in everything I do and then build talent behind me. Um, my big goal is I've got a great team here. Leaders are just springing up. I actually talked to, we have a cohort of, of emerging leaders. And again, they're, they're from all levels of the company. And my passion is to develop people, talk to students, you know, get them ready to lead in this industry. And uh, I want to hand them over uh, something of value that I value and, and see what they're going to do with it. Spurs GM called you. If, if Greg Popovich called you, bring bring on a staff. Would that uh, would, 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 would could that possibly get you out? Uh, okay, I'll tell you one more quick story. So, <laughs> so, the water company is a sister company, and we were we were answering questions for the public about a month ago. And and one of the one of the people said, well, "Why don't why not the water company and the energy company merge and be one?" And I said, "Well, I guess that could always happen." But I said. But that's kind of like having the Spurs mer- merge with the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> great teams, two different skill sets. <laughs> so <laughs> I love the Spurs. Uh, they're amazing. And what Popovich did is he he optimized team. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't about a one like star. It was about the team and the power of the team. So if he would call me in a minute, I'd sure pick up that phone. But he's pretty busy doing he his. Is thing and i just i just love what he does and i and i love the spurs uh we are rebuilding and yes you um, are that's okay though that's you got five championships in your hip pocket so you're doing okay Well, Miss Gold Williams, listen. I, I when, when Mike uh, told us you you were you were coming on the show, uh, I was uh, just just tickled pink because, like I said, you you've uh, you have certainly stood out from the folks. We've not to take anything away from who we've interviewed so far, but uh, you, like I said, you just got a fascinating story. And um, you know, like I said, I, I just I have an admiration in my heart for people that you know started out with. In, in, in the constraints that you did and, and, and to where you're at now, it just it, it's a testament to just your hard work, and it's a pleasure to have have, have time with you today. It is my pleasure to talk to your listeners. Call upon CPS Energy or me anytime. Thank you once again to CEO of CPS Energy, Miss Paula Gold Williams, and, and Mike. 
if, if you can't take something out of that story and what she's trying to do, I mean, like I said, on two fronts as far as, as you know, what she's been able to do to incorporate a team, a diverse team at that, um, you know, trailblazing along the way, and then again, what they've done in the last 10 years as far as adding more renewables to their portfolio certainly says a lot about what she's been able to do. And again, being able to, with this flex path plan that she's got, adjust on the fly, 2018, she catches some flack. They come back out with a new plan in 2020. They've got the RFI out, and clearly they're on the right path because, again, 2021 looks to be a big year for CPS Energy and all the renewable that they're looking to add. Uh, she was such a great guest. She was such a pleasure to have on, easy to talk to, and, and I know the fans had to enjoy listening to her. She gives some of her personal philosophies about business and how she wants her team to be, and everybody, worst case, you can take something away from how she's managing her team. There's good lessons to be learned on this this week's podcast. So uh, I was very happy with it. You did a great job as always, Fred. And, uh, you know, Fred being a veteran, I want to say uh, happy Veterans Day to you. Thank you, sir. And I uh, hope you have a great day. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, for all the folks at home, you know, and, and, and we had a chance to talk to uh, Miss Paula Gold-Williams, uh, one of her assistants, Seamus. And it looks like, it sounds like, and, and Mike, you asked a great question, you know, uh, from, you know, does she have any intentions of, of going in the political realm, which, you know, apparently that's been a, a, a big question, which makes sense because uh, you, you could feel her vibe just through the Zoom, for crying out loud. So it sounds like from what she's saying, you don't have to worry about her going po- uh, political anytime soon. But if Greg Popovich comes calling, Mike, it looks like Paula may have to take that phone call. So, you know, the folks at CPS Energy, you're okay about politics coming calling home. But if Greg, if Greg uh, gives her a buzz, they may, have to, they may have to worry a little bit. But, uh, no, that was, that was a fantastic uh, job. Uh, and, and, again, good get by you. But, again, so listen, folks. Episode 13 in the books. Uh, we've got, like I said, we're, we're, we're rounding the corner on 2020. Mike, it's, it's, it's just, uh, I'll tell you what, it feels like 2020 has gone on for about the last 10 years, man. I'm telling you what, this, this year has been absolutely insane. And, but you know what? The, the, the beauty of it is the renewable energy space is not going away anytime soon. It's only gotten stronger as the year's gone on. It's only gotten better. And like I said, from what we've done in the last six months with this podcast, I know we've certainly learned a lot and we've gotten great feedback from everybody. We've got four or five more podcasts left before the end of 2020. We've got a recap episode that's going to be coming out uh, Thanksgiving week. So we definitely want you guys to check out that. And of course, check out all the episodes of the Green Insider Podcast. If you missed any of them so far, we encourage you to go check them out. Go to the website, erenew.net. That's erenew.net. And then of course, you can always go to Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And please go check those out. We encourage you to do that because we guarantee you're going to learn something. Uh, You're going to learn more about renewables than you did before you came on. Also, too, if you do go to Apple iTunes, please leave a five-star ratings. Why? Because it helps with the algorithms, and that's what we're looking to do. If you want to leave a review, by all means, we'd be glad that you did. But please leave that five-star rating. So, for the one, the only Mike Niemer, I am Fred Davis. Thank you so much. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, where we make going green a whole heck of a lot easier. Girls, you can't do that.